Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for May 21st. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to poultry grower and Arkansas Farm Bureau Board Secretary Treasurer Dan Wright about challenges for the poultry industry caused by the COVID-19 outbreak. We also talked to Jamie Anderson of IF Anderson Farms, the nation's largest producer of bait fish, about what a recent increase in recreational fishing has meant for his operation. Finally, we speak to Arkansas Farm Bureau Public Affairs and Government Relations Director Matt King about the latest on the CARES Act and the creation of the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. First up, Greg Patterson hears from Scott County's Dan Wright about challenges for poultry growers during COVID-19. This is Greg Patterson of Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Dan Wright, and Dan is in Scott County in Waldron. He's a uh, poultry grower there, also on the uh, state board of directors as secretary-treasurer, and Dan, welcome to Arkansas AgCast. Thank you, Greg. Glad to be with you. Okay, uh, first question, and it's it's wide and ranging. What's going on with poultry farmers right now? Uh, you know, Greg, earlier in the year, the first of the year, uh, we were thinking this was going to be our year in the poultry industry. We had some trade deals go down that, that was working out. We were seeing production ramping up, and uh, our integrators were telling us, you know, we're going to be putting more birds in your houses. Our time is going to be less. It's going to be a good year. And then suddenly about March, this virus thing hits. And uh, now what we're seeing, we're seeing reduced bird flock uh, placements. You know, some some farms are getting 10% less than what they have been getting on the bird placement. And as poultry growers, you know, we get paid per pound that we raise. So that's that's money out of our pockets. And we're also seeing the out times. I know in my complex here in West Central Arkansas, uh, we're usually out between flocks uh, anywhere from 14 to 16 days. Right now, we're looking at 28-day out times. Wow, and, that's uh, tough. That, that's tough because when those chicken houses are empty, you're not making any money, but you're still incurring expenses because, uh, you know, some of these farms are million-plus dollars, and you can imagine the interest rate on a million-plus dollar loan. And yeah, we get a lot of that. And Dan, maybe for the listener out there who's not familiar with the process of growing a chicken uh, until it's ready to purchase in a grocery store, kind of give give folks explain that growing cycle and producing chickens. The you know when you receive them, how long you have them, you know then what happens, and and kind of give a, a an idea to the listener of what's going on with raising chickens. Okay, yeah. Uh, of course, the chicken industry is different than, than, than raising cattle or anything else. We're called a vertical integration system, which means that uh, everything from the, the hen laying the egg to the egg being put in incubators is all done through, through the company in which we uh, have our contracts with. As growers, we get these chickens at a, just shortly after hatching. They're they're uh, just a few hours old. We'll get those chickens. We'll place them in our barns, which uh, is anywhere from twenty five thousand square feet to uh, thirty thousand square feet in each in each barn. 
we'll put them in there and we'll climate control them. Uh, a lot of times these chickens live better than we do in our own houses because <laughs> we we keep them climate controlled. We have the best feed they can eat, and uh, we have the water pH and uh, a chlorination perfectly t- in 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 tune for those chickens at that age, so that they can have the 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 health that they need. And so we'll grow those chickens for a certain number of days, depending on the complex that you have a contract with. Mine is a four-pound chicken at the end of a grow-out. So okay. we run about 35, 36 days. And once once that chicken, the, the processor comes and gets that chicken, takes it to be processed, then we get paid per pound that that bird gained while they were on our farm. Now, now you once you get paid, um, you mentioned there's some out time before the next load of chicks comes in, and and explain that process as the cycle goes on throughout a year. Because for as as you said, a lot of folks have big loans; they have to pay on those loans, so they depend on those checks coming in. And and so over the course of a year, how many how many you're you're doing smaller birds? So how many cycles of of chickens are coming in for you? I'll do six to seven cycles a year. Uh, the the folks that grow the bigger birds, they may do five. And the way our payments are set up with our, with our banks, every time the flock comes in, they hold out a certain amount of money for the payment for that for that loan. And if you're set up on a six uh, six payment loan process throughout the year, if you're cut back one full flock and you're only putting out five, you're going to have to cough up twenty twenty five thousand dollars for a payment. Right, and that and that's that's, that's the problem. People people start feeling the pain. Yeah. One other one other point uh, that you can educate our listeners to as well is, you may get six or seven cycles of, of birds in during the course of a year, but you have to get so many of those cycles before you even break even. Yeah, yeah, because we figure everything on a square foot, and if you don't have enough birds, because when you when you place the birds in, you're having to account for propane. As growers, we have to pay for our own propane or utility costs, which would be propane, natural gas, or whatever. Right. Our own electricity, our own water. We have a lot of input costs, not to mention the loans, and and then we we have rice holes coming in for bedding. We have to pay for that, which for a semi truck load is about eleven, twelve hundred dollars. We have to put two per house if we're right. completely cleaned out. So that's that's twenty two hundred per house and you've got to have enough birds in that house to at least even those that expense that you have in there. And throughout the year you'll have a lot of expenses in the winter because you're burning a lot of propane. In the summer you'll be going to be burning a lot of electricity. So you've got to maintain enough birds in that house to help pay for your expenses, plus give you something to live on. And not only expenses on utilities, but you've got insurance. Uh, you've got labor costs. If you've got people working for you, it's uh, Greg. It's just a, it's just like a small business. There's a lot of hands out wanting money. You know when you when you place those birds, and you've got to have enough birds in there to make enough money to, to pay for all those people. That, that have got their hands out for you. So what you're saying, in essence, too, regardless of whether you're doing the large bird or the smaller bird or whether it's turkeys or, 
or whatever, if you miss a growing cycle because of, as you say now, instead of waiting 14 days to get your birds, you have to wait 28. If you miss a growing cycle or two, boy, you're in you're in serious hurt. You're in trouble. That will, that will be equivalent to somebody working at a factory or, or, or even you if they held out a month's worth of checks. You know, if they, if they said, we're only going to pay you for 11 months and not 12. Sure. That would, that would hurt. And that's and that's what that's a very real possibility that we're seeing. Some integrators or some poultry growers, Greg, are out forty plus days, and and that's a that's a major hit. I'm dropping about twenty eight, but forty days, uh, that's their growth cycle. Dan, tell me, as far as what is Farm Bureau doing for the immediate needs of poultry growers right now? Um, what, what kind of things are they trying to, to help with, with our, our poultry growers with immediate needs? Okay, right now we're looking, of course, everybody knows that the CARES Act came out recently. And with the CARES Act, there was a, a carved out part for livestock, which was uh, CFAP. And it's, and it's for all the, the livestock, livestock producers. And the cow-calf people are getting money. Everybody's getting money, seems like, except the poultry growers. And why is that? Tell, tell us why poultry growers aren't included in that. Because most people would think, oh, farmers are being taken care of. I've seen that in the paper or heard it on the news. Yeah, poultry growers, we don't get we don't get taken care of because we don't own the animal. We don't actually own that livestock. That's why we have problems with risk management issues. We can't get risk management insurance because we don't own those animals. So what, we you're own, saying, what you're saying, what you're saying is, somebody who's raising hogs or somebody who's raising cattle. I know cattle; they they go and they buy those animals and they raise them on their farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they own those animals. In the chicken world, when those chickens come in and into your houses, you don't own them. That's right. That's right. We are contracted to ro- to raise chickens for the integrator, for another person. So we don't actually own those animals, so we don't get some of the the relief that other livestock producers get. Now, what Farm Bureau is working on now, we're working on a, a, a getting some kind of a compensation per square foot. We've had the university working on this, and uh, we're, we're, we're working at that, trying to get some kind of relief because we realize that poultry growers have got a lot of expense, and we're just as important for this part of the world as anybody else. Uh, Arkansas, you know, we're the, we we lead pretty much in, in poultry production. If my part of the world, if it weren't for poultry production, there would be nothing here. So we feel like we're important enough to where we need to get a little bit of compensation. Uh, SBA, uh, there's a, there's a deal working there with uh, with the Congress right now, and the SBA is looking at doing some work with the loans on their end of it, which which will help out with uh, growers. And on the notes they have with the banks, and so we're working on this square footage deal, hoping we're going to be able to get somewhere. Right now, it's in the beginning processes. We're just trying to get our numbers together, but we are doing everything we can trying to get some kind of compensation for these growers because they're hurting, and right now they're nervous because they don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the year. Yeah, that would be a a big deal to have to do. 
have to uh, face uh, when a note comes due or a payment comes due uh, to handle something like that. What else are you hearing in your conversations? You obviously represent, as a, a board member for Farm Bureau, you represent a lot of poultry growers in the uh, western part of the state. Uh, what else are you hearing from poultry growers that they'd like to see done in the short term? In the short term, uh, of course, most poultry growers in this part of the state also have cattle. Okay. They're, they're seeing this CFAP thing come 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 around. They would like to see uh, some kind of uh, payment come come to them to help them in their out times to help keep keep the payments made to pay their labor and pay their their uh, interest on their notes. They would like to see something like that, and they would they would actually like to see. Um, some oh I don't know I guess I guess just some payments just something to to help keep them afloat because when you're looking when you're looking at a poultry grower we're kind of finely tuned we've got we've got the money lined out for every aspect of our grow out and when you have add a couple of weeks between the time we should have had a check and the time we do get a check it gets pretty lean and they would like to have something at that point to help them get through that hump. And get over it, and and can get on to the next flock. You know, we're like any other part of agriculture. Uh, we're we're very resilient. Uh, I've grown for thirty years, Greg, and I've seen. I thought I'd seen everything until this. I even had a bear in my chicken house at one time, and I thought that was going to be the highlight of my growing you, career. You had a bear in your chicken. I had a grow a bear come in my chicken house. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but that that visually doesn't work real well. <laughs> No, she would she would come in on the hot summer day, and when the fogger and misters were going, she would sit there and cool off and 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 kill you know four or five hundred chickens in the meantime. But uh, you know, I thought I'd seen everything, but but right now with this thing, you know, what I'm looking for is just something to kind of ease me over over the hump, to just get me to the place where I need to be, where I can move forward. And and the main thing that we want to see, we want to see restaurants go back into business. Sure. We didn't realize until now how important that the restaurants were. You know, I I tell people, in in chicken country, we gather at the poultry store or or the co-op, solve the world's problems. (laughs) And and, and what, what, what we've come up with and some of the things we've been talking about, before this thing hit, we had four predominant customers. We had retail, which is grocery stores. We had restaurants, schools, and recreation. And in March, we lost three of those customers. Right. And so what happened there was our supply chain, which is finely tuned, suddenly got a snag in it. And, you know, we had to go from supplying chicken for four different customers to suddenly only one customer's buying that product now. And now we've got a backlog of inventory of chicken. And for the short term, the best thing that could happen to us as poultry producers is to open the restaurants up more. People feel more comfortable going into the restaurants, uh, open up the recreation activities so people can barbecue again. You know, right. we're, in this part of the country, we're getting into rodeo season. And there's a lot of chicken and a lot of beef eating during rodeo season. 
Fort Smith uh, just canceled the old Fort Days Rodeo. Tons of chicken goes through that rodeo for that one week of that of that of that production. So right. that's where we're hurting. We just want to see things opened up, and we think we get things opened up within two or three months. Everything's going to be better, and and hopefully we'll be back in production by September October. And and tell consumers, you know, folks go to the grocery store and they see chicken and they see you know pork chops and they see beef steaks and stuff like that and it, it you know they just go in and buy what they want to buy but tell folks the consumer who goes to the grocery store why chicken is such an advantage because of the shorter growing cycle you know back i i, I looked at a history of the of, of the poultry business here a while back and back in the 30s FDR told the country that he was going to put a chicken in every pot. And it wasn't because chicken was the cheapest item there was out there to eat. Chicken was, was an expensive item at that time. And through integration, through this vertical integration, what we've been able to do, we've been able to streamline the production of chicken. Chicken is now the cheapest protein that you can buy. And it's because we're, that's because we're able to put more chickens in 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 one area and grow them uh, more humanely than what they ever ever have been able to do it. I have people tell me at times, you know, they don't they don't want to eat commercial chickens or Tyson or OK chickens because they're growing these big barns all cluttered together with nothing could be farther from the truth. I mean, I told a lady one time, I said, you know, you you believe you are what you eat, and she said yes. And I said, do you believe a chicken is what they eat? She said, yes. I said, you look at outside chickens, barnyard chickens. The only place they can get their grain is usually out of a cow pile. And I said, so you are what you eat. And and in the chicken house, we feed the the most expensive and best feed that money can buy. You know, these these chickens eat feed that is, is formulated just for them. And we're able to, uh, through genetics and through feed, we're able to uh, uh, grow a faster bird because we're climate controlled. Everything in that chicken house is controlled. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, I wish I could live in there sometimes because it's more climate controlled than my house is half the time. That, that's but why that bear wanted to live in there. That's why the bear kept coming in because it, it, was, it was a lot cooler in there. But, you know, we've just been able to streamline the production so much, Greg, that it's uh, – I grow I grow a million and a half birds a year, and that's enough to feed quite a few people. And those those six houses sit on about 10 acres. What other industry can feed that many people in 10 acres right. in the poultry industry? And, and uh, you know, people talk about hormones. You know, that's, that's gobbledygook. We've not done hormones since the 50s. Uh, we don't do antibiotics. You know, nowadays, when a, we've learned through the non-antibiotic process, we've learned that between flocks, we can go do things with our chicken litter to kill the pathogens in that chicken litter, and that'll make a healthier bird when they, when they come back in. And we've learned so much through this and through efficiencies. This is why chicken is, is is the cheapest protein that you can get and the healthiest protein you can get. And the quickest one to market. Exactly. Thirty you know, with uh from the time the the egg is laid by the hen 
you know, they'll spend 21 days in, a, in the incubator. We'll get that chicken 35 days later. It's uh, ready for process. Three days later, it's on the shelves. In, in, comparison, in comparison, how long does it take to get that, that ribeye steak into the grocery store? A year, year and a half, maybe. Yeah, takes takes a lot longer. Takes a long a more, time. A lot, lot more chickens in there. One other thing you were mentioning, you had you lost three out of the four, you know, big markets you had, and mm-hmm. then when you throw on top of that the fact that folks working in some of these uh, poultry processing plants as well as um, uh, hogs and 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 beef. Um, have come down with the the COVID virus in large mm-hmm. numbers, and then you have other workers in those plants who that scares them enough that they don't go to work. So you got hit also with the slowdown, a big slowdown in the actual production of of the meat that's trying to go through exactly. there. So that that hits you as well. Exactly. I mean, I mean, everything is designed for a hundred percent productivity. And, and processing plants, and when it's backed off to to seventy percent, you know that's you, you still have chickens coming in every every day. You got chickens coming in, but you're not processing as many as you have coming in. At, so at some point, that that relates to a problem, and that's and that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing folks that uh, are afraid to come to work because they're afraid they may get the virus. And the ones that are there, they're spacing them out, which means there's not as many people working there as what there once was. Sure. And uh, the, the the integrators, Greg, have done a wonderful job through all this. You know, they've done the very best they can with the circumstance that they've been handed. The the people that work on the line, they're to be commended. You know, you we talk about uh, uh, health workers, and they deservedly are, are, are the, the, our front line. These folks in the processing plants aren't too, because they're helping to keep us fed. Without them, we're not going to get those birds processed, as well as without the producer. There's nothing going to be processed. So this food chain thing, it's very important for our nation, of course, the security of our nation. And uh, once that gets messed up a little bit, that's a serious problem. And uh, the longer we go with this, the worse the problem is going to get. So... Uh, from all indications that I'm that I'm hearing through Farm Bureau and through uh, the integrators that I'm talking to, uh, they're looking optimistic. They're thinking things are going to get better from this point on, and they're working their way back to 100% production. You know, you you get a situation where a, a, you know something bad happens in your life, regardless of what it is, and 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 you sit back and you learn from that that pain. You mentioned that um, you guys solved the world's problems over at the co-op or around a (laughs) cup of coffee or back of a pickup truck, wherever you're talking. As you look at what the pandemic has done uh, to your particular um, uh, line of work of growing chickens, long-term, let's look at long-term now, what what are some of the things that, that you'd like to see change in this whole process? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Some of the things that I would probably like to see changed, uh, and this is with with my work through Farm Bureau, I would like to see 
some type of risk management system put in place. I figured I would that's like, where you were going. <laughs> yeah. I would like to be able for growers to have an affordable insurance type thing to where if we, because we have a break-even price on our square footage, if we don't reach that break-even price, then this insurance kicks in and takes over. Because right now we're we're like the high-wire walker without a net. We have nothing to catch us if we fall. Uh, that's for the long term, that's what I would like to see happen. Uh, we've, we've been talking about this Farm Bureau for years. Uh, we've got some things that we're working on, we're talking to people about, we're trying to get the word into Washington about it. But uh, we've got to come up with something like that, Greg, because this, this poultry business is getting too big. Uh, it's like the row crop folks. You know, the row crop folks have got uh, uh, PLC and ARC. They've They've got a safety net. And because they have one crop a year, and if that crop, you know, doesn't do anything, then they got compensation. Now, we've got six, five to six crops a year. Right. But uh, uh, still, we don't have a net, and if we fall to the ground on one of those, it, we may never get back up and be able to recoup. And so if we can get something going like that to where it's kind of like uh, the dairy head with uh, uh, MPP. You know, there's a there's sure. a uh, there's there's a point to where you've got to get to this point in your square footage prices. If you don't, this kicks in, and you'll get compensated not not to make a big profit, but to keep it float. And that's one of the main things that I I would like to see coming in the future. Well, it sounds like some of those co-op and coffee shop conversations have come up with a a pretty good idea, and it's it's good thing Farm Bureau's pushing that kind of thing. Dan, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, um, you know, we've we've been through a stressful time. I, of all the listeners that's going to listen to this, I can guarantee you nobody's seen anything like this before. Uh, but as, a, as farmers and ranchers and poultry growers and swine growers and turkey growers, you know, we're all resilient. We've seen things come and we've seen things go. And We'll take this in stride like we've done everything else. We've been through droughts. We've been through storms and snowstorms. We'll get through this. Uh, we still produce the safest and most affordable food supply in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm so proud to be in agriculture. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And I'm proud to be a part of an organization that fights for agriculture the way a far, Arkansas Farm Bureau does. Not only Arkansas, but American Farm Bureau, you know. We go to sleep at night wondering how can we improve on agriculture. And I go to I go to bed at night. I, sometimes it's midnight or after before I go to bed because I'm trying to look at ways that we can improve poultry growers and livestock producers in Arkansas, as well as row crop and specialty crops. And uh, Arkansas Farm Bureau is number one in trying to improve the way things are for farmers and ranchers throughout Arkansas. He is Dan Wright, and Dan, it's always, always a pleasure to talk with you. Poultry grower over in Scott County, Western Arkansas, and a board member, secretary treasurer with uh, the State Board for Arkansas Farm Bureau. Dan, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you, sir.
Next, Keith Sutton discusses the latest news on federal programs to help farmers and ranchers during the COVID-19 crisis, including the new Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, or CFAP. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. This afternoon, I am visiting with my co-worker, Matt King, who is Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations at Farm Bureau. Welcome to AgCast, Matt. Good afternoon, Keith. Yeah, I know uh, there's some important news out that we want to share with our listeners. Uh, And we're going to start off, uh, you've got some new information that folks need to know about the CARES Act. Uh, What's going on there that everybody needs to know about? If folks will remember back a couple, about a month, about six weeks ago or so, the CARES Act was passed. There was about $9.5 billion that was allocated, especially for livestock and special crops. Another um, $14, 16000000000 billion was added into the, for the CARES Act fund or for the CCC funding there also. So what we saw yesterday, they had an announcement from the president, from Secretary Purdue, with the, with the program that they're putting out called the Corona, Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and the CFAP for short. And the CFAP program has a lot of lot of different components to it. The first one that most of our guys are out there, most of our producers are concerned about, is going to be the payments for cattle. A lot of the cattle industry has been negatively impacted, or all the cattle industry has been yes, negatively impacted for by, sure. the, by this coronavirus. You guys have talked about that to uh, at, at extent. And uh, what we're seeing is we had uh, two payments that are that are going to come out as a result of this payment. Uh, USDA went in and broke the cattle down into five different classes. They're slaughter cows, mature, which are basically your cold calves, cows, or bulls. The slaughter cattle fit fed cattle rate. Uh, feeder cattle less than 600 pounds. Feeder cattle less greater than 600 pounds. And then what most of the producers in Arkansas are growing, this is going to be that all cattle, all other cattle. And right. what? what what they're going to see out of this is anything that was sold between January 15th and April 15th, there's a per head payment for those cattle. So anything that you sold, depending on where it is, you can go on our, the Arkansas Farm Bureau website. We've got the chart broken down there with all all those prices. But you will get very likely around $100 a head for those cattle that you sold between uh, January 15th and April 15th. Now, there's a second part of this program to where the USDA is looking to make up for part of those losses. So that $100 is basically what they estimate the loss, uh, 80% of the losses that have been, been incurred by producers during that time frame that sold their cows. The other payment under, that's going to be made through the CCC, which is the rest of the money that Congress passed, is going to be a $33 per head payment. It will be paid on, the, on any, however many bulls you have, Mama cows you have, calves, anything out there. It's your highest inventory number that you have between April 16th and May 14th. Every cow, every head of cow on your, every head of cattle on your, on your property would be counted under this. There's also programs out there for, uh, for specialty crops. Unfortunately, for a lot of our growers in Arkansas, specialty crop coverage in this isn't going to, isn't going to cover because they only go through production through April. So a lot of ours wasn't planted then or wasn't right. being planted. So unfortunately for our specialty crop growers, they're not, they're not going to be included in this. 
poultry, our largest industry, our largest agricultural sector in, in Arkansas, was not included in this. However, Arkansas Farm Bureau, along with other southeastern and the American Farm Bureau, are working right now on a program to recommend to the USDA to try to get get some support for those growers. The only thing for poultry that was included in the CARES Act was a loan forgiveness program through through the SBA. So anybody that has an SBA guaranteed loan for poultry, a lot of those guys up in northeast Arkansas do, and other newer poultry houses may have an SBA loan. If you have that, you get a um, half of your loan for get, um, principal and interest forgiven for this year. The, the federal government's going to make that payment for you. So that that's a great great resource for those those folks. Unfortunately, that's just not not very many of our growers here in Arkansas. There's also a a program for the for the crops included in this for the row crops. But basically, for Arkansas, it's going to be for our corn corn farmers, soybean farmers, and cotton farmers is the the program that's included in this. And what the USDA is looking for is your production that you had. On hand from twenty eight from twenty nineteen that was still in storage on January fifteenth. And the important caveat to this is that it had to have price risk exposure on January fifteenth. So if you had grain in the bins or cotton at the at the warehouse that had not been priced on January fifteenth, that is eligible for for payment. And those those are also going to be be posted on our website at ARSB.com. Uh, if you're a member of a co-op, if you sold all of your soybeans through the, the rifling pool or you have cotton with one of the cotton cooperatives that's through, through the pool, you should be getting a, a notice from your, your co-op that tells you what percentage of your cotton, of their cotton, is left unpriced or soybeans that is left unpriced as of January 15th, and that's what you would take to your FSA office. We don't know exactly what the, the sign-up for this is going to look like. We understand from FSA, sign-up will start next Tuesday, May the 26th for the program, but we're, we're still waiting to see all of those forms. FSA, if you've never dealt with FSA, if you're a cattle producer or um, another producer out here that's never dealt with FSA, you can go on farmers.gov, CFAP, forward slash CFAP, which is the their acronym for this, and it's got a list of just the basic information that you have to fill out. There's about six forms for somebody who's never dealt with FSA that you need to fill out, and there'll be another one- or two-page form that will likely be up on their website, hopefully later this week, to give you an idea of the information you'll need to go prove your losses. A lot of these are going to be self-certified, meaning the farmers will go in and certify their losses. If you have a, a cattle that you sold, you'll have to have some type of documentation showing that you sold those cattle between January 15th and April 15th. Wow, so there's a lot of good news in that report. It seems like, I guess, uh, poultry growers may be feeling a little bit left out, but there's even some good news in there for them as well. Yes, sir. And we're we're still actively working to get to, to further, to try to get other things for our poultry growers and for, and for everyone else. This is This was round one. These cover right. losses from first quarter. We saw last week that um, the House passed their, what they're calling the Heroes Act, $3 trillion package was passed out there. There's a few things for agriculture included in there. That that um, bill is like maybe dead on arrival upon uh, heading to the Senate, but we are working with our senators, our congressmen in D.C., trying to make sure that they understand that there's additional losses 
in the agriculture community just like in the rest of the small businesses out there. We want to remind folks you can go to our website, ARFB.com, and uh, you'll be able to find a lot of this information there that will be helpful to you if you couldn't grab a pen to write it down. Uh, we also, Matt, wanted to talk a little bit about a new policy text messaging update system we've got. What you That's got cool. on that? Keith, I appreciate this opportunity. It's real simple. What we've done is we're partnering with a we've got a company that's that's helping us. If we if you if folks out there would text five two eight eight six and type ARFB in the message whenever you do your text. So the phone number that you're texting is five two eight eight six and you text ARFB is what needs to go in your message part of that. When you press send, you'll almost instantaneously get a a link back from Farm Bureau asking you for your name, your address, phone number, those kinds of things. And once you sign up with that, you'll be you'll be uh, ready to get updates from Farm Bureau. So all of this stuff that I've just talked to you about, Keith, we've already sent all of those things out via our text messaging system. So farmers, as soon as we have the information, at 11 o'clock yesterday morning when USDA rolled out the press release for this, our farmers, the members of that uh, system, got an email from them. As soon as we got the details from the cattle out of the uh, Federal Register last night and, and were sure that what we had was, was the correct information, we sent that information out. This is the quickest and most efficient way to get communications from, from Farm Bureau and our policy staff and others here at Farm Bureau. The important thing with this and the really cool part of this is once we get into a legislative session, or needing something is um, passed in Washington D.C., we can uh, we can send alerts out to you that way also. And this system automatically knows because you plug in your address, which who your House representative is, or Senate representative at the state, or who your congressional congressional uh, leaders are also. And it'll we can you can send messages directly to them through this. So when Farm Bureau has an issue that we need help. We need to engage our grocery on. We're going to use this system to alert our members and send out send information out to them. And it's really, really simple. Let me say it one more time for you. <laughs> All you got to do is send a text to five two eight eight six, and then you add A R F B. Is that correct? In the te- and as your text message to them. Yes. Yep. That's you all see? you have to do. It's that simple, and we'll keep you up to date on what's going on through Farm Bureau. We want everybody to be up to date so you know what's happening. There's a lot of important things going on these days, and everybody wants to be on the cutting edge knowing what's happening as things change day to day. Matt, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we get off of here? That's it, Keith. Again, I just encourage everybody five two eight eight six ARSB. If you'll send us send us a text with that, we'll get you all the the latest information. We hope everybody will take advantage of that, and we appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Keith. Finally, Ken Moore talks to Jamie Anderson, Vice President of IF Anderson Farms in Lone Oak County. Winners of the 2020 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year, Anderson Farms is the nation's largest producer of bait fish. Jamie says a sharp increase in recreational fishing during the COVID-19 pandemic this spring has had an impact on their business. Welcome to another edition of Arkansas AgCast. I'm Ken Moore, and 
this week, I have uh, the privilege of speaking to Jamie Anderson. Jamie is Vice President of IF Anderson Farms, based in Lone Oak. Uh, IF Anderson Farms is the nation's largest bait fish farm. Aquaculture is another important industry in Arkansas. And Jamie's going to explain to us here in just a few minutes why uh, it's so suitable for the production of uh, bait fish here in our state. Uh, and uh, in addition to being the nation's largest bait fish farm, Jamie and his family last December were named the 2020 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year. So uh, congratulations again, Jamie. You're about five months into uh, your year and reign as Farm Family of the Year. Thanks for visiting with us today. Well, thank you very much, Ken, for having me. You bet. Uh, Jamie, uh, let's just talk and let you get into uh, explaining uh, here uh, telling our listeners uh, to this edition of AgCast a little bit about your family history there uh, and how IF Anderson Farm came to be uh, the nation's largest bait fish operation. Okay. Well, we are, we're in our 71st year. Um, I am the fourth generation. My granddad and great-granddad started the business back in the late 40s, and and um, it's uh, kind of happenstance how we got to Lone Oak County. A family's all from Yazoo City, Mississippi, and my granddad was running bait routes over here, and he and his brothers and his dad were in the uh, bait business then, but catching all their fish wild, and, and he was over here seeing a customer uh, right here in Lone Oak County and, and noticed how hardy some of the golden shiners were in this area, so he just assumed it had something to do with groundwater or soil or or uh, maybe the genetics, so he, he bought a farm right here on Highway 70, and that's how it started. Uh, had 80 acres of rice on it, and he turned that into ponds and started clearing trees and, and uh, kind of went on from there. Uh, that's how we got started here. Why is Arkansas, why do you think we're so suitable for the production of bait fish? At one time, as you know, uh, we're also a very large player in the production of farm-raised catfish, uh, for those who may not be aware, just north of your operation there in Lone Oak County, uh, we also have the nation's largest goldfish operation, goldfish producing farm. So uh, why is aquaculture so suitable to Arkansas? Well, I think not only is it suitable in, in terms of geography, but, uh, but you know, considering the, the bait fish industry was pioneered here, the, the goldfish industry pioneered here, uh, not to mention sport fish. Uh, we had the Joe Hogan State Fish Hatchery here at that time. So I just think the center of it um, kind of started here for those reasons. And so it just grew from then on. Um, you know, there are a lot of row crops around that uh, at that time. And, and, you know, the row crop industry was, was a constant battle and up and down. So, you know, I know my granddad in particular would go build ponds on somebody's row crop farm and then stock them with with uh, fish and then buy them back for people. So lots of ponds were built in the area back in the 50s. Um, you know, and then those, they may have started as bait fish ponds and turned into sport fish or vice versa. And, and so that's that's kind of how everybody in the area got into the business. Um, you know, so, and, and once you start a business like that, you don't just pick up and move. So, you know, so those farms either changed hands or got into different species um, you know, Arkansas is a great hub in terms of interstate system. Uh, we got a lot. The Delta has good water, good flat ground, good soil. So I think for a lot of those reasons, um, Arkansas uh, kind of became the hub of uh, sport fish and game fish um, and goldfish and shiners for that reason. 
We're about three months into uh, the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic now. Uh, Everything changed in the United States, Jamie, as we all know. Back in mid-March, when uh, businesses started shutting down, schools closed, children started uh, doing their learning, their schoolwork from home, from a distance, Uh, a lot of people were furloughed. And uh, now, here in the month of May, as we approach uh, the month of June, uh, we're starting to reopen a little bit. But uh, over the last couple of months, people have been home. They've been looking for things to do, and I understand that – a lot of more people are enjoying recreational fishing. Uh, is that putting an increased demand on, on what you guys are doing there at the farm? Absolutely. We've uh, we've had one of the craziest springs we've ever had. We kind of describe it as an eight-week-long spring break. Um, but but certainly sales have been way up. Ours are up over 50%. Um, all of our customers are up an average of 50 to even over 100%. Um, you know, of course, we service 41 states, um, and a lot of those customers, the wholesalers come and pick up here. You know, their trucks are coming through here almost every day. They're they're turning around and dropping off as quick as they can and coming back. And and that does put a strain on the industry. Um, we're certainly glad there's a whole lot of new fishermen out there. We hope they continue to fish in the future. Folks that haven't that maybe haven't fished since they were a kid are fishing again. You know, we all know it's a great recreational sport. It can even be a way to feed yourself. And live bait is a way to, to teach young kids to fish. Uh, it's very easy to do. Um, but, you know, the bait shops all across the country saw a huge increase. Uh, the ones that weren't, you know, shut down, we had some up like the state of New York that were shut down, deemed non-essential. And then we had uh, lakes in the, you know, look out in the west, the four corner states. A lot of those lakes are run by DNR, or Game of Fish, the boat launches, and you know, a lot of them were shut down. And and so in the beginning, we were, really weren't sure what to think about what was going on. But you know, just those few bait shops and few lakes that were shut down were far overshadowed by the the increase everywhere else, just in sales. You know, it and and you know, like any other livestock, which is a uh, fish is just livestock. You know, they're born a certain time of year, and then you work off of that that crop for the next 12, 14 months. Well, you know, last April and May, we hatched the fish we're selling right now. So, you know, when sales double, you just, you don't double your crop. You, you know, you just try to readjust. But, you know, we planted those fish last April and May, and our plan is to have, you know, X amount of fish for at an X amount size, for X amount of sales for the next 12 months. Well, when sales double, you know, it just kind of throws everything uh, into a spin. But, you know, so when you sell off all your larger fish and your crop just continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller uh, just because they're not growing in the spring. Um, but, you know, it's a good problem to have. We're not complaining whatsoever. But, you know, I, every morning our bait shops and, and wholesalers coming in, well, you know, why are you short on fish? I say, well, we're not short on fish. You're long on sales. And I say, you're up 60%. You're up 60% for the year. They go, oh, really? And I say, yeah. <laughs> I say, right. you, know, this, you, you don't put livestock on a shelf and let it sit there until it's ready to be sold. It's a it's a living, breathing organism. And, and I think once they started seeing that with their cricket dealers, their worm dealers, and even their their uh, terminal tackle dealers, um, they were running out of their warehouses were empty. You know, crickets couldn't be born and bred fast enough. Worms couldn't be born and bred fast enough. So they kind of started seeing it. You know, it hit home, um, 
and understanding that you know this is we're just going to have to deal with it and and it wasn't that we were ever out of fish we might have been out of sizes um or we might have had to ration um you know we were you can only catch so many per day i've got 21 men doing nothing but catching fish every day wow when they can only catch so many per day so you know when you got six or eight trucks lined up for fish you just ration and say, hey, come back tomorrow. We're, you know, and they say, what can I get tomorrow? I say, I don't know. We're catching them this afternoon. <laughs> so it, it's just, it was a, it's a great problem to have. It's impossible to plan for. You know, there have been years that we're sitting here in May and couldn't give a fish away because it's raining every weekend from coast to coast. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things you plan for average and then deal with it when it's one way or another. Um, but it, it's been a blessing. Um, I think we've learned a lot. Our customers have learned a lot. And we certainly hope the fishing public has had a great time and learned a lot. We hope this, this generation that that has not fished at all due to baseball season and, and Xbox, um, we hope they've learned and loved to fish and learned and loved the outdoors here for whatever reason, whether it's hunting or fishing or or just hiking, you know, we've got to get this generation back out. And so this this could be a blessing in disguise. Um, uh, so let, let's just cross our fingers and hope so. Yeah, and I appreciate uh, your saying that because how many children, you know, go out with dad and, you know, daughters and sons love to get out there, either it's on a fish bank uh, at a local pond, you know, here in Hot Springs where I am, uh, we have a family park, and they stock that little small pond at the family park with catfish several times a year, um, and uh, the Game of Fish does. And then uh, I know that, uh, you know, for families, just like to just load up a bucket with some minnows and uh, take a cane pole or, or take a little rod and reel. Uh, it's a great family activity, isn't it? It is, and, you know, it's... You know, I know my kids are spoiled. They've got a fishing pond in their backyard, but they fished every day and are still doing so. And and I just, you know, the worst part about that is they couldn't have their friends over. Um, but a lot of their friends I know are doing the same thing, talking to their parents. If they didn't have a, a local fishing pond, they were going to a lake or a stream. And, and uh, you know, that's what this state is all about, and that's what this industry is all about. And, and uh, so let's just let's hope that we kind of change some perspectives uh, for some of the people who you know, might have chose certain things for vacations every year, but this year we're forced to go fish or camp or do something. Let's hope they continue to do that. Now, how has this, and you kind of touched on this a moment ago, but uh, you say your your workers are out there in the ponds uh, catching fish every day. Uh, that's not normal, is it, for them to be staining the ponds on a daily basis? Is that something that well, you've had to actually start doing just because of this? No, actually it is. I mean, this okay. time of year we're seven days a week. Um, you just cannot physically do it in less than seven days a week. You know, we're loading trucks seven days a week. We're seining seven days a week. We um, Right now our hatchery is running, so we're hatching all our fish. That's a seven-day-a-week process. You, oh, we're wow. taking fry out of the hatchery to our nursery ponds daily, and we're bringing new eggs uh, from our brood stock into those same tanks daily. Um, so it's you know, it's chaotic even on an easy, normal year. But, but no, it, um, you know, if, if we had had more people to sane, that had been great. But, you know, you, when you're, you're limited on fish, you know, you've already run through all your ponds with a certain size greater and taken everything that's saleable out, and you're just hoping 10% of them grew in the last few days to go back to that same pond and grab those next 10%. So it, it becomes very inefficient when sales are that uh, kind of fast and furious, but 
but um, you just got to do what you got to do. Um, the downside is, you know, it will catch up with us because we've sold the fish that we had set back for June. We sold them in April and May. So, you know, the hard part now is we've had to completely rethink production, and and so these fish coming out of hatchery, we spread them thinner and hope that they grow faster in a the second that they can grow and get the market size, we, we hope our old crop and new crop overlap properly. You know, that's always the hard part is to make your old crop and new crop meet, um, you know, size-wise and volume-wise. So, so you know, it's, you know, if you had a, a hundred head of cattle and you sold off all your 800 pounders, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to have those next month because that, that, those others got to catch up, you know, so it's the same scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a living, breathing organism. So, but it will catch up, and we'll we'll get it right. We're making all the proper adjustments, and and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. But uh, you know, everybody's had a, a great season. All of our customers have had great seasons. I know they could have sold more if we'd had them, or if or if the industry'd had them. But it just it is what it is, and you can't predict it. And and uh, you know, it's like I say, it's a good problem to have, and it's a learning experience. And and it may be the complete opposite next year. <laughs> You know, and and I wish I could have taken on new customers this year, and but you just you can't do it. You we we focused on servicing our our current customers and getting them every possible fish we could get them, and and uh, but you can't just snap your fingers twelve months into a crop and have more crop. So right, it's, it's, right. it's wild, but, uh, but we we've made it through it. We we're starting to see a slowdown. Um, I think as the country's opening back up a little bit, there are those that are tired of fishing. They're going to go do whatever they can do besides that now, just something new. Uh, plus, hopefully people are going to get back to work real soon. Um, but, uh, you know, so a little slowdown after this Memorial Day weekend will kind of be a blessing in disguise once again just because our our crop can have time to grow and catch up and, and we can kind of take a breath for a second. But uh, So, you know, we kind of see that coming right. down the pipeline. Is there any one species uh, of the minnows and, and the bait fish that you produce that's more popular than the other? I know you uh, produce and raise uh, several different types. Right. Um, the bulk of what we raise, um, you know, roughly about 70% of it is the golden shiner, which is just your common okay. uh, minnow that you're going to see in, in most bait shops. And then, of course, we raise goldfish for bait. We raise uh, black fatheads for bait. And then we raise a rosy red or or an albino version of the black fathead with a pink minnow. Um, and then we have our black salty, which is our, our patented trademark fish that we developed for saltwater fishing. But we're actually selling more of it in freshwater now. We are saltwater just because it's so tough and hardy. People trot line fishing and limb lining and, and even using the small ones to bed fish for largemouth. Um you know, so um, the the shiner is certainly our largest volume, um, but uh, but it you know just depends on time of year. But right now they they're taking anything that swims. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Well, Jamie, is this uh, you think the effects of the pandemic? Even though the nation is starting to reopen more and more, people going back to work, and you know, hopefully in the fall, school in classroom education will resume. Things of that nature. Uh, this is going to have long-term effects on almost every industry. Do you think this might be the new normal for, for bait fishing and bait fish production in the future? Oh, I can't say that the normal is going to sway um, a whole lot one way or another. Um, you know, uh, it's just really hard to, 
to determine. I, I hope we don't have another issue like this. Uh, you know, I, I have my opinion on it. I'll, I'll keep that to myself right now. But uh, but I, I really feel like this country's ready to get back to normal. Um, I think I think they're ready to get back to work. I, I know parents are ready for school to start again. I know I know we are. Um, you know, so I don't know. But I, I do. You know, in the sports arena, you know, I, I coach both my kids' baseball teams, and we've talked to them, talked to all the players. Hey, do y'all want to go ahead and play in July if we can get back together and you know, a couple of parents have told me, "Hey, you know, we camped and fished and 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 all this spring, and and now little Johnny's not doesn't love baseball as much as we thought he did, so he may not even play next year." You know, so I have seen and heard that, so that might be something that changed people. Uh, you know, they people just got to enjoy their families and enjoy their time, and they've right. never been able to do that, whether due to work or school or sports or, you know. So I hope that. Part is a new normal, but I, I, you know, it's hard to say about the rest of it. I, you know, this this stuff has been around; it's going to continue to be around, and I hope we just learn to deal with it, and and everybody kind of goes back to normal. Great perspective, very well said, Jamie. Uh, thanks for your time, buddy, and uh, absolutely sharing your story with us on this edition of AgCast, and uh, have a great summer. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, and and uh, I appreciate it been speaking with Jamie Anderson, the vice president of IF Anderson Farms in Lone Oak, the nation's largest bait fish operation, and the reigning farm family of the year on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll return next Thursday with the latest news in Arkansas agriculture.